Section 22 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 30. Francis I and the Reformation, Part 2. The defeat at Pavia and the captivity of Francis I at Madrid placed the governing power for thirteen months in the hands of the most powerful foes of the Reformation, the regent Louise of Savoy and the Chancellor Duprat. They used it unsparingly, with the harsh indifference of politicians who will have at any price peace within their dominions and submission to authority. It was under their regimen that there took place the first martyrdom decreed and executed in France upon a partisan of the Reformation for an act of aggression and offence against the Catholic Church. John Leclerc, a wool-carder at Meaux, seeing a bull of indulgences affixed to the door of Meaux Cathedral, had torn it down, and substituted for it a placard in which the Pope was described as Antichrist. Having been arrested on the spot, he was, by decree of the Parliament of Paris, whipped publicly, three days consecutively, and branded on the forehead by the hangman in the presence of his mother, who cried, quote, Jesus Christ forever. End quote. He was banished and retired in July 1525 to Metz, and there he was working at his trade when he heard that a solemn procession was to take place next day in the environs of the town. In his blind zeal, he went and broke down the images at the feet of which the Catholics were to have burned incense. Being arrested on his return to the town, he, far from disavowing the deed, acknowledged it and gloried in it. He was sentenced to a horrible punishment. His right hand was cut off, his nose was torn out, pincers were applied to his arms, his nipples were plucked out, his head was confined in two circlets of red-hot iron, and whilst he was still chanting in a loud voice this versicle from the 115th Psalm, quote, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands, end quote his bleeding and mutilated body was thrown upon the blazing faggots he had a younger brother peter leclerc a simple wool-carder like himself who remained at meaux devoted to the same faith and the same cause quote, great clair says a contemporary chronicler playing upon his name who knew no language but that which he had learned from his nurse but who being thoroughly grounded in the holy writings besides the integrity of his life was chosen by the weavers and became the first minister of the gospel seen in france an old man of meaux named stephen manguin offered his house situated near the market-place for holding regular meetings forty or fifty of the faithful formed the nucleus of the little church which grew up Peter Leclerc preached and administered the sacraments in Stephen Manguin's house so regularly that twenty years after his brother John's martyrdom, the meetings, composed partly of believers who flocked in from the neighboring villages, were from three to four hundred in number. One day, when they had celebrated the Lord's Supper, the 8th of September, 1546, the house was surrounded, and nearly sixty persons, men, women, and children, who allowed themselves to be arrested without making any resistance, were taken. They were all sent before the Parliament of Paris. Fourteen of the men were sentenced to be burned alive in the great market-place at Meaux, on the spot nearest to the house in which the crime of heresy had been committed, and their wives, together with their nearest relatives, were sentenced to be present at the execution, quote, the men bareheaded and the women ranged beside them individually in such sort that they might be distinguished amongst the rest, end quote. The decree was strictly carried out. It costs a pang to recur to these hideous exhibitions, but it must be done. 
for history not only has a right, but is bound to do justice upon the errors and crimes of the past, especially when the past had no idea of guilt in the commission of them. A wit of the last century, Chamfort, used to say, quote, There is nothing more dangerous than an honest man engaged in a rascally calling. End quote. There is nothing more dangerous than errors and crimes of which the perpetrators do not see the absurd and odious character. The contemporary historian Slyden says expressly, quote, The common people in France hold that there are no people more wicked and criminal than heretics. Generally, as long as they are a prey to the blazing faggots, the people around them are excited to frenzy and curse them in the midst of their torments. The sixteenth century is that period of French history at which this intellectual and moral blindness cost France quote, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands, end quote, most dear. It supplied the bad passions of men with a means of which they amply availed themselves of gratifying them without scruple and without remorse if in the early part of this century the reformation was as yet without great leaders it was not nevertheless amongst only the labourers the humble and the poor that it found confessors and martyrs the provincial nobility the burgesses of the town the magistracy the bar the industrial classes as well as the learned even then furnished their quota of devoted and faithful friends a nobleman a picard by birth born about fourteen ninety at passy near paris where he generally lived louis de berquin by name was one of the most distinguished of them by his social position his elevated ideas his learning the purity of his morals and the dignity of his life possessed of a patrimonial estate near abbeville which brought him in a modest income of six hundred crowns a year and a bachelor he devoted himself to study and to religious matters with independence of mind and with a pious heart Quote, most faithfully observant, says Erasmus, of the ordinances and rites of the church, to wit, prescribed fasts, holy days, forbidden meats, masses, sermons, and, in a word, all that tends to piety, he strongly reprobated the doctrines of Luther. He was none the less, in 1523, denounced to the Parliament of Paris as being on the side of the reformers. He had books, it was said. He even composed them himself on questions of faith, and he had been engaged in some sort of dispute with the theologian William de Coutances, head of Harcourt College. The attorney-general of the Parliament ordered one of his officers to go and make an examination of Berquin's books as well as papers, and to seize what appeared to him to savour of heresy. The officer brought away diverse works of Luther, Melanson, and Carlostadt, and some original treatises of Berquin himself, which were deposited in the keeping of the court. The theological faculty claimed to examine them as being within their competence. On being summoned by the attorney-general, Berquin demanded to be present when an inventory was made of his books or manuscripts, and to give such explanations as he should deem necessary, and his request was granted without question on the twenty sixth of june fifteen twenty three the commissioners of the sorbonne made their report on the eighth of july peter lizet king's advocate read it out to the court the matter came on again for hearing on the first of august berquin was summoned and interrogated and as the result of this interrogatory was arrested and carried off to imprisonment at the conciergerie in the square tower on the fifth of august sentence was pronounced and louis de barquin was remanded to appear before the bishop of paris as being charged with heresy quote, in which case says the journal d'un bourgeois de paris he would have been in great danger of being put to death according to law as he had well deserved the public were as ready as the accusers to believe in the crime and to impatiently await its punishment 
It was not without surprise or without displeasure that on the 8th of August, just as they had, quote, made over to the Bishop of Paris, present and accepting, end quote, the prisoner confined in the conciergerie, the members of the council chamber observed the arrival of Captain Frederic, belonging to the archers of the king's guard, and bringing a letter from the king, who changed the venue in Berquin's case so as to decide it himself at his grand council in consequence of which the prisoner would have to be handed over not to the bishop but to the king the chamber remonstrated berquin was no longer their prisoner the matter had been decided it was the bishop to whom application must be made but these remonstrances had been foreseen the captain had verbal instructions to carry off louis de berquin by force in case of a refusal to give him up the chamber decided upon handing over the bishop's prisoner to the king contenting themselves with causing the seized books and manuscripts to be burned that very day in the space in front of notre dame it was whilst repairing to the scene of war in italy and when he was just entering melun where he merely passed through that the king had given this unexpected order on the very day august the fifth on which the parliament pronounced the decree which sent berquin to appear before the bishop of paris there is no clear trace of the vigilant protector or who had so closely watched the proceedings against berquin and so opportunely appealed for the king's interference in any incident of this sort there is a temptation to presume that the influence was that of princess marguerite but it is not certain that she was at this time anywhere near the king perhaps john du Bellay, bishop of bayonne acted for her francis i was moreover disposed to extend protection of his own accord to gentlemen and scholars against furious theologians when the latter were not too formidable for him however that may be berquin on becoming the king's prisoner was summoned before the chancellor duprat who politely reproaching him with having disquieted the church confined himself to requesting that he would testify some regret for it berquin submitted with a good grace and being immediately set at liberty left paris and repaired to his estate in picardy whilst he there resumed his life of peaceful study the parliament continued to maintain in principle and openly proclaim its right of repression against heretics on the twelfth of august fifteen twenty three it caused notice to be given by sound of trumpet throughout the whole of paris that clergy and laymen were to deposit in the keeping of the palace all luther's books that they possessed laymen who did not comply with this order would have their property confiscated clergymen would be deprived of their temporalities and banished toleration in a case of suspected heresy was an act of the king's which itself required toleration proceedings against heresy remained the law of the land constantly hanging over every head eighteen months later in may fifteen twenty five there seemed to be no further thought about berquin but the battle of pavia was lost francis i was a prisoner at madrid louise of savoy and the chancellor duprat wielded the power the question of heretics again came to the front quote, the queen must be told said pierre lizet king's advocate as st gregory told bruneau queen of the franks that the best way of driving away the enemies of the kingdom is to drive away from it the enemies of god and his spouse the church on the tenth of april fifteen twenty five on occasion of giving the regent some counsel as to her government the parliament strongly recommended her to take proceedings against the heretics quote, the court they said to her 
has before now passed several provisional decrees against the guilty, which have not been executed because of the evil disposition of the times, and the hindrances affected by the delinquents, who have found means of suspending and delaying the judgments given against them, as well as by transference of the venue to the Grand Council, as by seizure and removal of certain of them, prisoners at the time, whom they have had withdrawn from their prisons, by exercise of sovereign and absolute power, which has given the rest occasion and boldness to follow the evil doctrine." It was impossible to reproach the king more broadly with having set Berquin at liberty. The Parliament further advised the regent to ask the Pope to send over to France pontifical delegates invested with his own powers to watch and to try in his name, quote, even archbishops, bishops and abbots who by their deeds, writings or discourses should render themselves suspected of a leaning towards heresy, end quote. Louise of Savoy, without any appearance of being hurt by the attack made by the Parliament on the acts of the king her son, eagerly followed the advice given her, and on the 20th of May, 1525, Clement VII, in his turn, eagerly appointed four delegates commissioned to try all those suspected of heresy, who, in case of condemnation, were to be left to the secular arm. On the very day on which the Pope appointed his delegates, the Faculty of Theology at Paris passed censure upon diverse writings of Erasmus, translated and spread abroad in France by Berquin. And on the 8th of January, 1526, the Bishop of Amiens demanded of the Parliament authority, quote, to order the body to be seized of Louis de Berquin, who resided in his diocese and was scandalizing it by his behavior, end quote. The Parliament authorized his arrest, and on the 24th of January, Berquin was once more a prisoner in the Conciergerie, at the same time that orders were given to seize all his books and papers, whether at his own house or that of his friend, the Lord of Rambure, at Abbeville. The great trial of Berquin for heresy was recommenced, and in it the great name of Erasmus was compromised. When the question was thus solemnly reopened, Berquin's defenders were much excited. Defenders, we have said, but in truth, history names but one, the Princess Marguerite, who alone showed any activity, and alone did anything to the purpose. She wrote at once to the king, who was still at Madrid, quote, My desire to obey your commands was sufficiently strong without having it redoubled by the charity you have been pleased to show to poor Berquin according to your promise. I feel sure that he, for whom I believe him to have suffered, will approve of the mercy which for his honor you have had upon his servant and yours. End quote. Francis I had in fact written to suspend until his return the proceedings against Berquin, as well as those against Lefebvre, Roussel, and all the other doctors suspected of heresy. The regent transmitted the king's orders to the pope's delegates, who presented themselves on the 20th of February before the parliament to ask its advice. Quote, the king is as badly advised as he himself is good, said the dean of the faculty of theology. The parliament answered that, quote, for a simple letter missive, end quote, it could not adjourn, it must have a letter patent, and it went on with the trial. Berquin presented several demands for delay, evidently in order to wait for the king's return and personal intervention. The court refused them, and on the 5th of March, 1526, the judgment was read to him in his prison at the conciergerie. It was to the effect that his book should be again burned before his eyes, that he should declare his approval of so just a sentence, and that he should earn the compassion of the church by not refusing her any satisfaction she might demand, else he should himself go to the stake. Whilst Berquin's trial was thus coming to an end, Francis I was entering France once more in freedom, crying, quote, So I am king again. End quote. 
During the latter days of March, amongst the numerous personages who came to congratulate him was John de Selve, premier president of the Parliament of Paris. The king gave him a very cold reception. Quote, my lords, wrote the premier president to his court, I heard through M. de Selve, my nephew, about some displeasure that was felt as regards our body, and I also perceived it myself. I have already begun to speak of it to Madame, or the king's mother. I will do, as I am bound to, my duty towards the court, with God's help. On the 1st of April, the king, who intended to return by none but slow stages to Paris, wrote from Mont-de-Marsan to the judges holding his court of parliament at Paris, quote, We have presently been notified how that, notwithstanding that through our dear and much-loved lady and mother, regent in France during our absence, it was written unto you and ordered that you would be pleased not to proceed in any way whatever with the matter of Sieur Barquin lately detained a prisoner until we should have been enabled to return to this our kingdom you have nevertheless at the request and pursuance of his ill-wishers so far proceeded with his business that you have come to a definitive judgment on it whereat we cannot be too much astounded for this cause we do will and command and enjoin upon you that you are not to proceed to execution of the said judgment which as the report is you have pronounced against the said barquin but shall put him himself and the depositions and the proceedings in his said trial in such safe keeping that you may be able to answer to us for them and take care that you make no default therein for we do warn you that if default there be we shall look to such of you as shall seem good to us to answer to us for it here was not only a letter patent, but a letter minatory. As to the execution of their judgment, the Parliament obeyed the King's injunction, maintaining, however, the principle as well as the legality of Berquin's sentence, and declaring that they awaited the King's orders to execute it. Quote, According to the teaching of the two testaments, they said, God ever rageth in his just wrath against the nations who failed to enforce respect for the laws prescribed by himself it is important moreover to hasten the event in order as soon as possible to satisfy independently of god the people who murmur and whose impatience is becoming verily troublesome francis i did not reply he would not have dared even in thought to attack the question of principle as to the chastisement of heresy and he was afraid of weakening his own authority too much if he humiliated his parliament too much it was sufficient for him that he might consider berquin's life to be safe kings are protectors who are easily satisfied when their protection to be worth anything might entail upon them the necessity of an energetic struggle and of self-compromise trust not in princes nor their children said lord strafford after the psalmist when in the seventeenth century he found that charles i was abandoning him to the english parliament and the executioner louis de barquin might have felt similar distrust as to francis i but his nature was confident and hopeful when he knew of the king's letter to the parliament he considered himself safe and he testified as much to erasmus in a long letter in which he told him the story of his trial and alluded to quote, the fresh outbreak of anger on the part of those hornets who accuse me of heresy said he simply because i have translated into the vulgar tongue some of your little works wherein they pretend that they have discovered the most monstrous pieces of impiety End quote he transmitted to erasmus a list of the paragraphs which the pope's delegates had condemned pressing him to reply quote, as you well know how the king esteems you much and will esteem you still more when you have heaped confusion on this brood of benighted theologians whose ineptitude is no excuse for their violence End quote. 
By a strange coincidence, Berquin's most determined foe, Noel Beda, provost of the Sorbonne, sent at the same time to Erasmus a copy of more than two hundred propositions which had been extracted from his works, and against which he, Beda, also came forward as accuser. Erasmus was a prudent man, and did not seek strife but when he was personally and offensively attacked by enemies against whom he was conscious of his strength he exhibited it proudly and ably and he replied to beda by denouncing him on the sixth of june to the parliament of paris itself as an impudent and ignorant calumniator his letter read at the session of parliament on the fifth of july fifteen twenty six was there listened to with profound deference and produced a sensation which did not remain without effect in vain did Beda persist in accusing Erasmus of heresy, and in maintaining that he was of the brotherhood of Luther. Parliament considered him in the wrong, provisionally prohibited the booksellers from vending his libels against Erasmus, and required previous authorization to be obtained for all books destined for the press by the rectors of the Sorbonne. End of section 22.